came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Senator Ron Johnson on what the heck is going on in middle America and worried about America. Dan Sullivan, the senator from Alaska, trying to send more oil down from Alaska to the 48 states. Dr. Peter Michalos, are we going to live longer? Dick Morris on a little bit of tidbits of what's going on with Trump. And let's start off with the president of the World Bank, David Malpass, and how is the world doing in this economy? Mr. Malpass is one of the biggest banks in the world, most complicated banks in the world, involves uh, 170, 180 countries. Uh, how does it feel to run an organization that big? Hi, John. Uh, well, it's a big challenge. It keeps you busy. Uh, but the, uh, I think what I tried to do was uh, make clear to everyone from the beginning that what I wanted was good outcomes for people of developing countries. It's a little bit like what you write about in your book, where you talk about clients, the customer matters. And so as you think about it, you, you need good people and you need to keep your eye on the ball, which is uh, the client. In this case, people that live in poorer countries. Uh, and so that, that means trying to have programs that make sense for them and then push them through quickly. So that's what I've uh, tried to do. And we've had a, a lot of success on this. It's been a very busy four years here at the World Bank. And then prior to that, two years at the Treasury Department as undersecretary. So I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to new challenges, uh, but I'm really happy with uh, the progress that we made. Now, uh, I know you are traveling in, in Africa. Uh, is Africa uh, one of the biggest continents that the World Bank is involved with? as much as half of our assistance goes to Africa. And, you know, Africa itself is a gigantic uh, continent. If you fly from one side of Africa to another, uh, you know, tip to tip, uh, uh, east to west, it's as, it's as big as Russia, which is the, the biggest country in the world. And so Africa spans lots of people, different ethnicities and different economic problems. Uh, and we're heavily involved in today. I'm in uh, Niger, which is a, a country that's surrounded by fragility. And so the, the big challenge for them is to have enough teachers and enough jobs so that people are, are, are peaceful and uh, move forward economically. Uh, it's a big challenge, and the World Bank's very involved here. And now there's uh, a lot of problems in the World Economic uh, uh, Forum. Uh, interest rates have been going up. How does that affect the World Bank? Do they have the same problems uh, with interest rates rising, or, or uh, how does that work? We have a big balance sheet, but it is uh, we, we lend floating rate, not fixed rate. And so that means that as interest rates go up, our net income actually goes up somewhat. And so what we've 
tried to do as the countries face problems. Over these four years, we've had two major surges of assistance by the bank, expanding our balance sheet uh, in order to help people with COVID and now with the Ukraine war. Uh, and the donors have been generous as well. So we've had a, a, a big increase in the volume of our assistance that we provide. And we are we are uh, we keep a matched book, meaning we don't have a maturity mismatch the way uh, Silicon Valley Bank did. We so if you think about our liabilities, uh, they are they tend to be long term. We issue bonds into the market, and we use that to make floating rate loans. And so that means we're in a, we're not uh, uh, under the pressure that some of the banks are in the U.S. right now. Cryptocurrency. Have you uh, uh, has the World Bank got involved at all in that, or, or are you protected from that? What, what's the story on cryptocurrency? Well, a starting point is that we don't own it as an asset on our balance sheet. So I, that that would be uh, it's got a lot of volatility. Cryptocurrency does. Uh, one of our challenges, a different challenge, is the countries that we're working in uh, are under pressure from the higher interest rates, uh, and also they are they are looking for ways to have new settlement systems and payment systems. Uh, and so crypto is tempting for some of the many of the people in developing countries. I think what the world should do uh, is move more quickly to fast settlement for dollars. You know how empowering it is for people in the U.S. to use payment systems that are instantaneous and be able to get their money out of the bank in an instantaneous way. So I think there can be a lot of progress on that without going into anonymous uh, cryptocurrency uh, mechanisms. Uh, we're, we're very involved in it from an international regulatory standpoint. The Financial Stability Board, one of the international regulators, is, uh, is heavily involved in that. And so we approach it from the standpoint of what can we do for people in, the poor, in developing countries. What we want is fast payment systems that are really cheap. They don't want to pay a dollar per transaction. They can't afford to do that. So we strongly encourage countries to put in fast, safe payment systems. Understood. Uh, now, you've been in charge. You've been president of the World Bank, which is a, a phenomenal organization uh, for almost four years now. And uh, uh, what when you ask, what are you most proud of accomplishing uh, in the last four years that you're proud of and you, the countries you've helped and, and the people you helped? What I guess I'm proudest of uh, is going, having, going, moving as the world worked through these two giant crises, COVID and, and now the Ukraine war, the World Bank has been able to respond very quickly. We, that took work. That people were working round the clock, uh, in even from home, as as COVID struck in countries around the world, and we made it work. And so it's not only been uh, uh, a, uh, a a an okay performance. I think it's been a great performance by people at the World Bank, and so I'm proud of that. It there's been you know there's normal turnover in an organization. We've uh, we've gotten stronger and stronger in that. So I like that side of it. The the uh, challenge, the frustration is that developing countries are in grave difficulty. I call it grim 
It's a crisis-facing development because the, the resources of the world are concentrating toward the advanced economies. Think of all the money in the world that has to go to paying the national debt, the U.S. national debt, but also Japan's and Europe's national debts. That takes a giant amount of energy by the world just to pay the interest on the debt, and those interest rates are going up. So if you think of it from the standpoint of a person living in a poorer country, uh, there's not enough capital, not enough fertilizer. And for many, for, for, for many of them, they don't have electricity or water or food. And so that's, that's a big challenge that I think the world should pay more attention to. Uh, understood. Uh, and uh, the other important thing is there's so much strife. The politics of going on worldwide uh, with uh, with various countries, with China, India, uh, Russia, uh, war, uh, Ukraine. How does that affect the relationship the World Bank has with those countries? Uh, my vision is that you don't really get involved in that stuff, that the, the bank is out to help countries. Uh, tell us your, your feelings and what really happens. Uh- as a practical matter, when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, we stopped operations in Russia and pulled our people out. We closed the office in Belarus, which has helped Russia uh, at, at times. We suspended operations, moved quickly, and uh, we have an eye on the safety of our personnel, but mo- also on, uh, on, on making sure uh, that, uh, that, our, that, they, that we are supporting people uh, in in Ukraine and other parts of the world that are under pressure from from uh, uh, from conflict, uh, so that is that's a clear direction. With within our board, with Russia uh, participates. Uh, China is a is a major participant. They're the third largest shareholder of the World Bank. And so, with regard to to China, as you as you ask. We've evolved the relationship over these four years toward a smaller lending relationship. We do, do still lend some to China. I should note that China is a net payer to the World Bank. They contribute uh, to our trust funds, and they also are repaying their loans from history. So they're actually a net positive for the bank from a pure cash flow standpoint. Uh, and we've changed our lending to be uh, in almost entirely global public goods. That means things that China does that will benefit people elsewhere in the world, such as uh, marine plastic. They, they're they a big emitter of marine plastic. Uh, they're working with us to reduce that. We're working with them to drastically reduce the amount of uh, plastic that's put into their rivers. We also work, uh, and I should mention the problem of uh, debt for the developing countries. Over the last 10 or 15 years, China has, uh, has uh, increased greatly its lending to developing countries, and they do it oftentimes in a way that's not transparent. Maybe the contract is not disclosable, and that, that makes it very difficult to restructure when the country, uh, if the country gets into trouble. So we've been pushing hard 
on a better debt restructuring process for developing countries so that when when the world slows down or has a COVID crisis or the current crisis of, of rising interest rates, that they have a way to get out of it, get back on their feet and move forward. So we need China to be a full participant as well as the private sector lenders. You know, the bond markets lend sometimes to developing countries when they don't have a good sense of what they're getting into. And those debts also need to be restructured. We're working on that. We got a minute left. What would you like to say to the people of the United States of America? You're an American. Tell us, where are we? The world went through this period, a unique period of 0% interest rates. So I think we have to be prepared as a country and as a world for a long workout period. That means assets have to get repriced for the higher interest rates that, that, are, uh, that are more normal. And it's going to take time to do that. So I think there has to be really uh, good quality work by the government of the United States, by the private sector of the United States, and then looking worldwide, uh, the same for other countries. There, that we, the advanced economies have to do a better job of using their capital so that there's more left uh, for the whole world because the you know, population is going up and the world needs more growth. Uh, and there has to be better techniques to do that. Fiscal policy, monetary policy, tax policy, regulatory policy, I think have to urgently improve. David Malpass, president of the uh, World Bank. Your term expires April 9th, uh, 2023. Thank you so much for what you've done for America, for the world, and God bless you, and thank you so much. Thank you, John. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. What is today's United States Senator Dan Sullivan a uh, from Alaska? Does it get really cold up there, uh, Senator? John, it gets cold, but, you know... Uh, We've just had a beautiful winter. The northern lights have been out like crazy all over the state. It's been pretty cold. We got a ton of snow, ton of snow. But, you know, Alaskans are tough, and we can develop any resources, oil, gas, minerals, in 40, 50 below. And that's what we do. And I know you've been a great champion for our energy sector, our resource development sector in Alaska. And we, we want to thank you so much for that. Uh, in the uh, uh, last few weeks, we saw each other, and uh, you had been in the Oval Office in the White House discussing opening up the, uh, the Willow Project in Alaska with President uh, Biden. Uh, it looks like uh, we're in a, on a successful road, but Alaska, is the EPA or anybody else trying to stop it? Oh, heck yeah. Um you know, uh, you and I talked about it. I know you've been talking about it a ton on the show, the Willow Project, so thank you. We, I mean, let's face it, we had a mini miracle. The Biden administration did something right 
on energy. It wasn't perfect, that's for sure. Remember, this is a reapproval. The Trump administration approved the Willow Project already. And just for the listeners, you know, this is exactly what America needs, a massive, very environmentally responsible uh, energy project that our country needs, our allies need, max production of oil, close to 200,000 barrels a day. But, John, as you and I have talked about, we go right into existing infrastructure, right? So very little new infrastructure goes right into the Alaska pipeline. 2,500 jobs to build it. These are great jobs, as you know, in the energy sector. The highest environmental standards in the world. And, um, you know, one of the big arguments I made to President Biden on this in the Oval Office, literally I said, Mr. President, you're, you guys just lifted sanctions on Venezuela. We're in, importing over 100,000 barrels a day from a terrorist regime with horrible environmental standards. So if you care about the environment, you care about American workers, you care about our national security, why on earth would we put Venezuela over Alaska with our workers, Americans, we get the revenues. So to your question, as soon it was approved, which they approved it, Conoco started deploying uh, a couple hundred people, literally within a couple hours of the record of decision They were deploying people to the North Slope to build this. And you guessed it, every darn radical, lower 48 radical environmental group in America has sued to stop this, to stop the production of American energy and and American workers. So we're literally in court right now. I led an amicus brief of every elected official in Alaska, our entire delegation, all of our state legislators, state reps, state senators, Democrats, Republicans, Native, non-Native, They all signed this brief to the judge saying, you know, Your Honor, come on, don't listen to the radical lower 48 enviros. Listen to us, the people who are elected. So she's going to rule on this any day. And my goodness, I sure the heck hope she doesn't listen to the radical enviros who are trying to stop this, what we call the eco-colonialists, because the native groups in Alaska are all for it. So the lower 48 groups just have no idea what they're doing. All they want to do let is... Me, let me ask, uh, uh, if the president gave the order, the president of the United States opened up the Willow, and, and oil at that point, a, a week after me and you had dinner, it went down to $65 a barrel, which I had predicted. And, you had predicted. And, and, uh, and uh, then there was a little bit of turmoil. Uh, what say you about the movement of oil based on on uh, Willow being opened in Alaska? Well, Willow's going to, you know, Willow's going to take some time to build, uh, probably about three years fully to build it. But, you know, I was down, I think I mentioned you, I was down at this huge conference called Thera Week. That's a big conference in Houston. It's probably the biggest oil and gas conference in the world. And, um, this is before the decision, and everybody there, even the companies, Willow is a ConocoPhillips project, but even the companies that had nothing to do with Alaska wanted the Willow project to go forward because it was, if you can't do a project like this, by the way, the Willow project's in a place called the National Petroleum Reserve of Alaska. This isn't controversial. That's the part of Alaska that was set aside um, uh, set aside by the federal government, by the Congress, for oil and gas development. 
Well, look, I'm not surprised that um, you're seeing some uh, decline in the price, in part because, as you know, John, and you and I have talked about, this administration from day one stopped the production of American energy, stopped building pipelines, stopped uh, or started to pressure financial institutions to not invest in American energy. And what happened? Well, of course, the prices were going to go through the roof. But I think there's been so much pushback against the radical anti-energy zealots in the Biden administration that, um, you know, some of them concluded that they needed a project like Willow. And, hey, that's good for Alaska. It's really good for America. I think it is good for America. Uh, Senator, there's so many things happening. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to bring to the front burner? Well, look, you may have seen on the energy front, and I think this is a really big deal, that the House passed their Lower Energy Act. And, you know, John, I've been working closely with some of the House members who are writing writing that. Of course, Schumer said it would be dead on arrival in the Senate. Biden said, oh, uh, I'll veto that if it comes to my desk. But this bill, if you look at it, common sense permitting reform so we can actually bring projects online much quicker than the 10 years or more it takes to do projects in America, a focus on all of the above energy. And there was some Democrats who voted for it. So look, what we're going to do is we're going to work with the House, particularly on these permitting and other energy issues. The Senate's getting ready to introduce its own bill. It's very similar. And we'll put pressure on Schumer in the den. The American people want common sense energy policies. They don't want this radical, far left, progressive stuff that's crushing working families. So we're going to try and move this. And, you know, we'll probably bring it to the floor and the Democrats will have to object against it. We'll see which Democrat has the courage to do that, but it's going to be hard on them. I'll tell you that. What was your reaction when Saudi Arabia announced, along with China, that they're opening, they're going to open up a, a new refinery in China? I was shocked. I was taken back. And then uh, uh, not only that, then China announced it's opening up relationships with Brazil. I mean, what the heck is going on? Well, I think it's the abdication of this administration's foreign policy. And um, I, I was just in the Middle East on a CODEL with what we're called, what's called the Abraham Accord countries. This is the really good initiative from President Trump that was bringing peace between Gulf Arab countries and other countries in Israel. And that is so important. By the way, he never got any credit for it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the Trump administration, uh, the president, Jared Kushner, did an amazing job on this. You got essentially peace agreements, normalization agreements with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan in Israel. I mean, that is a giant issue. But I will tell you this, John, the number one issue I heard, number one, and Americans are still thinking, oh, well, that was a year ago, was how shocked every leader in that region was with the botched withdrawal withdrawal, uh, of Afghanistan. Shocking. You can't and, believe. And they're going to use those weapons against American people. Exactly. And these leaders that you can't believe the shockwave of that. They see us 
with the Biden administration is just pulling out everywhere. So, of course, the Saudis are going to start looking at other places. We need to get back. You know, we can walk and chew gum in terms of different regions. But when we look like we're always exiting, the Chinese are going to fill that gap. And that's what they're doing right now. We got to be very aware of that. And by the way, one of the things that in terms of competition with China that they fear, and you and I have talked about this, John. Yes. The Chinese are scared to death of American energy dominance. They know how vulnerable they are with regard to energy. And we should just play that strength of ours I'm, and these I'm, guys I'm, the Seneca, administration nobody's undermine it. nobody's smart enough in washington right now to play that card senator thank you we're out of time but i'd like to have you back real soon because there's so much more we can talk about john i love being on the show and i uh, look forward to getting together soon thanks for all the great work you're doing and, and by the way and i mean this seriously you are one of the commentators who talked about willow and put it on the radar screen from the American people all the time, and that helped. So thank you on that, and I'll keep you posted on how that lawsuit's going. I sure the heck hope the radical left-wing lower 48 environmental groups don't stop hard-working Alaskans from building out more American energy. Agreed. We'll know soon. Agree, 100%. We'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, Senator uh, Dan Sullivan from Alaska, and God bless Thank you, you, sir. God bless. Thank you, sir. With us today is uh, Senator Ron Johnson from uh, the great state of Wisconsin, middle America. And there's so many things going on in our country. I figured let's go to middle America and find out what they are thinking. Uh, Good morning, Senator Johnson. How are you? I'm doing great, John. How about yourself? Well, I'm concerned for our country, Senator. There's so many things going on. And I had breakfast this morning uh, uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, before the show, and he says, are we in a loony bin? It seems like we're in a loony bin, or it seems like we're in a bizarro world. Uh, What say you? Well, there's no doubt that the radical left has infiltrated every major institution, not only this country, but globally. And they are destroying our country. They just are. Uh, you know, you take a look at the, you know, I always call it the litany of horribles, the 40 year high inflation. You know, they drove gasoline prices up over five bucks a gallon, increased other energy prices, uh, the rising crime in our cities, the open borders, the, the flood of illegal drugs, the fentanyl. I mean, these, these are the issues we should be focusing on. They didn't just happen, they were caused by left wing governance and left wing policies. And then, of course, last week we had this uh, George Soros backed district attorney that even though his predecessor declined to prosecute, the uh, Justice Department declined to, declined to prosecute. Now, all of a sudden, he's, in, in, you know, he's issued this political indictment against the former president, which, of course, is going to focus a lot of the nation's attention on that when we should be focused on securing our borders, bringing inflation down, uh, trying to uh, push back against our adversaries who are on the march because of the weakness that the Biden administration has uh, displayed and driven us into here in America with all these horrible policies. Well, Senator, what I'm I'm shocked about, it seems like uh, an old 007 movie uh, with Spectra taking charge where China has aligned with 
with Russia, has aligned with Pakistan, has aligned uh, with India, has aligned with Saudi Arabia, has aligned with Brazil now, has aligned with Iran. Uh, I, I mean, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, our allies. How much? We gave billions of dollars to Brazil to build refineries. Saudi Arabia is going to spend billions building a refinery in China. What's wrong with this picture? I mean, I am just, well, again, I'm crying. Yeah, globally, the our adversaries and even our allies perceive uh, the reality, and that is that Biden administration has weakened America across the board, and they're not looking at America as a reliable ally. Uh, you know, listen, the real danger here, John, uh, is that the world uh, replaces the dollar as the world's reserve currency. I mean, if that were to happen, we're not going to be able to continue to print money to finance all this massive deficit spending that's being spent on green energy boondoggles and uh, making more and more Americans dependent on government, uh, enticing them out of the workforce. I mean, but one big problem we have in America is we don't have enough workers. Um, and we're not, we're not fixing that because we have this open border, so it's difficult to uh, establish a, a functioning legal immigration system. So, no, this, this, we are, when America is weak, the world is a far more dangerous place, and that is what we're witnessing today. I mean, it was the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in, in Afghanistan that emboldened Putin to make a move on Ukraine. And, of course, the other, the other weaknesses of this administration. So, no, I, I share your concern. I think uh, so many Americans do as well. I mean, I, you know, during, during my campaign uh, last year, I'd always be asking, what are the major issues? And obviously, there's inflation, gas prices, all that kind of stuff. But I would always say it's, it's more fundamental than this. It's way more fundamental than this. People just have a sense that we are losing this country. And I point out that Venezuelans, an oil-rich nation, a very successful South American country, Venezuelans voted themselves into poverty. They voted for uh, Hugo Chavez, and that be began the, the downhill slide in just a few de a couple decades. So sad. Uh, Venezuela is now a basket case. That that can happen to us. That that's the path that left wing policies put this nation on. It's so sad. Venezuela was the richest country in South America, the top five richest countries in the world. The world, and now it's Cuba. It's it's like Cuba all over again, and 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 the socialists in our country, the. E are trying to do this to our country. I mean, I, I, I have to buy an extra you know, box of Kleenex because I cry for our country. And, of course, the socialists are not only the governing elite, they're also in the media, they're in academia. I mean, again, the, 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 the radical left has infiltrated every institution of this country, and now we're seeing the results. And you know, what, what's sad about this is you know, they're not stupid people. Uh, you know, they, they look around the world and they see where communism obviously failed the Soviet Union, uh, Cuba. You know, they have to look at Venezuela. It's not working. But, you know, I, I've talked to people who are part of the movement. and They say, well, they're, they're not stupid. No, they're utopians. They, they just look at those other uh, failures and say that the only reason they failed is those people, you know, the Stalins, the Castros, the Chavez of the world. They're, they're not as smart. They're not as good at angels as we are. Give us all the control. Give us all the power. And, and we will impose socialism on the population, and, and we'll have utopia. It'll all come up roses. You know, it's kind of like you know, Klaus Schwab 
the World Economic Forum says, you know, in, in 10 years, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Uh, he may be happy because he'll own it all. I don't think the rest of us will be. And I, I certainly don't think, uh, you know, p- people in Cuba and Venezuela are particularly happy right now. Well, you know, I live in New York City, New York State, and 484,000 people have left New York City, New York State for for better uh, places to go to. And, uh, you know, I've said to the people in Albany, which is the, our capital, who's going to pay the—you guys want to raise uh, the budget, who's going to pay for it? And and uh, it's just I'm crying for New York City, New York State, too, sir. Well, my guess is what they'll do is they'll go right into the federal government. Uh, unfortunately, far too many Americans think that we just got a you know an unlimited checking account, and we just write them a blank check. And of course, under the Schumer regime, under Democrat control with the Biden administration, that's been pretty true, uh, which is why we're experiencing forty-year high inflation. Why a dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration is now only worth eighty-seven cents. Think of that, John. Now, just two years ago, a dollar was worth a buck. Okay. Now it's worth 87 cents, relatively. Uh, again, this is, it, it's out of control. Uh, that is why people with their eyes open, people like you and me, a lot of people in middle, middle America are just so highly concerned that, that we're literally losing this country. And, and let's face it, the, you grow government, freedom recedes. It's, it's, a, it's in direct proportion. Our founders knew that, which is why they wanted to limit the federal government but uh, there's virtually no limit to federal government anymore. Understood. Senator Ron Johnson, you know, uh, thank you for coming on this Sunday morning. And we love America. And the American people have to realize that, you know, we're, we're our future is at stake. And thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a patriot. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what our heart believes in. With us this morning is Dr. Peter Michalos, our in-house genius, uh, talks about history, talks about medicine. And I understand today, uh, Dr. Michalos, uh, we have breakthroughs, uh, in medicine in 2023 that you want to enlighten uh, all, all our listeners? Yeah, a lot of exciting news happening. Great to be with the Cats Roundtable audience this morning. And uh, the first thing is very exciting new technique called CRISPR, and basically it's going to be able to actually correct genetic mutations. So we're all born with different genes, some good genes, some bad genes. So imagine that they'll be able to go in and alter your stem cells and tell that genetic code, hey, go fix this thing. And they're going to be doing a clinical trial this year with muscular dystrophy. And we all remember those uh, telethons with uh, Jerry Lewis. But imagine now that those people years later with this great, amazing work will be able to get cured. And there's also new technology related to that called gene editing technology. And the many people around the world who suffer from sickle cell anemia and thalassemia being able to go in and change that one gene that turns the red blood cells abnormal into the shape of a sickle, which causes all kinds of pain, morbidity, mortality, and billions of dollars in emergency room visits a year. And that clinical trial is going on. That's extremely exciting as well. And a lot of clinical clinical trials were disrupted because of COVID and they didn't happen from uh the time of 2020 when we really hit the pandemic, there's a repurposed diabetic drug 
called exenamide, and it's in a phase three trials, and it uh, seems to be helping some subset of patients with Parkinson's disease. Another exciting trial for ovarian cancer patients where they're resistant to other chemotherapies, and it's by Immunogen, the company, and it's called Muretazunumab, and that one is also exciting. It's a new class of drugs called ADC, antibody drug conjugates, where they tie an antibody to some chemotherapy, and it laser targets to go after the tumor, which is also exciting. Other exciting work for people with uh, brain tumors called glioblastomas, which is a death sentence at Duke University. They've actually put some people in remission, and it's fascinating how they, they, they actually put some altered polio vaccine directly into the tumor. And when the tumor gets infected with the polio vaccine, it generates an immune response, and then the tumor can no longer from the immune system and the T killer cells see inflammation happening in the tumor, and they go after the tumor. Some people actually are in remission for three years with something that's usually a death sentence within, you know, months. So that's also extremely exciting. And to uh, another fascinating thing is called uh, drug clusters, which they found metastases. We always think of one cell gets loose and it goes and spreads. It doesn't happen that way. It happens in clusters. And they found that a common cardiology drug called digoxin or digitalis helps to block those clusters, which might develop a new class of drugs to stop metastases. So when you get cancer, it won't be an automatic death sentence. But one of the most exciting things we've talked about at WABC, which we tell all our listeners that they get access to it, is to ask their doctor about the gallery test by Grail, which is a blood test that can spot 50 cancers before they even start or catch them super early before they appear on an MRI or a scan. And that's an exciting area, and catching things early will save, uh, not only save lives, but it's going to save uh, billions of dollars in the healthcare system when you can catch things early. Because it's all about listening to WABC and expanding your health span, not only your lifespan. And uh, we look forward to sharing all these new happenings with our audience on WABC to help them live longer and keep listening to the great programming you provide. Well, that that is the uh, that is the objective, and I'm happy to hear that all these new medicines are coming through. Uh, anything else you want to tell the American? It's 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 Sunday morning. Uh, we're all drinking our coffee. Is coffee good for us? Yeah, coffee is loaded with a lot of antioxidants, but things like uh, green tea matcha latte, for example, that's super dark green. The more color the better. And if you think about this, the more you eat that looks like a rainbow, those colored vegetables, the colored green teas, they contain things called polyphenols, which are uh, great healing and repairing for our bodies. So uh, I just want to tell people to consider intermittent fasting and uh, try to eat for only an eight-hour window, take 16 hours off, and try to stick to the Mediterranean diet with lots of extra virgin olive oil. And that turns out to be the secret sauce of the blue zones of the Mediterranean diets and avocados. And that's why Loma Linda is included in the blue zones because they eat so much avocado, which turns out to be an amazing superfood. I'm no longer eating the skin of a tomato. I'm no longer eating the skin. The skin of tomatoes is thought to contain something called lectins. That's why a lot of animals, so tomatoes, don't get eaten up by And eggplants, the skin of eggplants. I'm not, no longer eating the skin of eggplants either. Well, the concern is that basically in our intestinal tract, it's an interesting place. 
the intestine has to allow nutrients to go through, but it's like border patrol. It actually also has to block potential invasion of bad things and bad bacteria. And it turns out that the theory is that these lectins found on the skin of the eggplant and on the insides have these little raised sharp things called lectins, and they actually violate that border wall and allow micro penetrations and they generate inflammation. Remember that there were no tomatoes in Italy in 1491. They got introduced after Columbus in 1492. That's why the Italians knew about the skin of tomatoes. That's why they cook with the insides of tomatoes and tomato sauce. You'll rarely find an Italian cooking and a lot of European cooking, including the skin of tomatoes. So that's that why is smart. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you. Thank you so much, thank and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Dick Morris. He was advisor to uh, President Clinton, advisor to President Trump, keeps his ears cl- close to the ground in Washington and Florida, New York, everywhere. And uh, Dick Morris, what a mess we have on our hands. What's going on in, uh, in our city, our state? What's going on in Washington? Tell us. Well, I spoke to President Trump last night after the news of its indictment had been released and uh and i said congratulations you just gained 10 points in the polls and i think that the polling when it comes in will show that i think that he has that drags indictment will have the perverse effect unintended consequence of guaranteeing him the republican nomination Uh, nobody else can run against trump right now he'll absorb all the oxygen in the room all the attention will be on Donald Trump and DeSantis, Haley, Pence. None of them will be able to get a word in edgewise. And uh, the whole issue will become, should Trump have been indicted or not? And when the judge throws out the indictment, which they inevitably will, uh, Trump will emerge victorious from this. So uh, in a perverse way, Bragg has helped Trump. And in the general election, when you contrast Trump's innocence of these charges and the ridiculous content of the charges concerning a porn star, it pales by comparison with what we're about to learn about Biden and his dealings with China that are at best corruption and at worst treason. And this information is going to come to us over the course of the year while we're watching the charade of Donald Trump being indicted at worst listing a touch money payoff that was not illegal as a, as a business expense when you should have put it in the campaign contribution column. And that's supposed to be a felony. Uh, it will become so clear that Bush has, that, that Biden has violated our trust and that Trump has not. It's worth remembering, John, that there was a tradition in the U.S. of not indicting former presidents despite evidence that he bribed the FCC to get a license. Lyndon Johnson was not indicted. Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, and he was not indicted. Ronald Reagan was, got, got through the Iran-Contra thing, clearly breaking American law, but without being indicted. George H.W. Bush, Bush 41, inflated a loan from an agricultural agency, the Commodity Credit Corporation, so as to get extra money which he could use to buy arms for Iraq illegally, that at that time was an American ally. And Barack Obama was implicated 
in a real estate deal with Tony Rezko, a uh, corrupt guy from Chicago who gave uh, Obama $150,000. And then Mrs. Rezko bought a vacant lot next to the Obama's house and gave it to the Obamas, dramatically increasing the value of the property with no cash changing hands. He was not indicted. So by breaking this precedent and going after Trump, particularly on these ridiculous... Doesn't that mean that almost every county, every state could go after a president over nonsense and and create havoc in our country? It absolutely does. Uh, I mean, particularly with these grounds. Um, Even the guy who made the payoff, Michael Cohn, says, I made the payoff, but it was my money, and I'm expecting reimbursement from Trump. Not that they'll ever see it. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and that t- they disregarded that completely in indicting him. Uh, so this, has, this indictment is going nowhere. And, I and think you're going to be, out. Dick Morris, you're going to be on at noontime at WABCradio.com yep. and uh, uh, 770 on your dial, on your AM dial, and also uh, on your iPhones uh, on the app, 77WABC. You can hear it worldwide in the whole solar system, as Larry Cudlow would say. Um, what are you going to talk about at noontime today? Well, I'm going to shout loud so everybody can hear me over all of those networks all over the solar system. I'm going to talk about the Trump indictment, its political implications, how it totally changes the picture for the 24 election, and damn near guarantees Trump elect- Trump's election. Dick Morris, I'd be looking forward to listening to you at noontime on WABC Radio, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kat. Steve Moore with us? Yes, he is. Steve, how the heck is the economy going? Uh, your, your, your brother, uh, Larry Kudlow, is away. You're, you're substituting for him today. What's going on? <laughs> well, those are big shoes to fill. I read. Uh, Hi, Steve. I, uh, John, good to be with you guys. Um, you know, still in a precarious position. I mean, uh, it looks like the worst of the banking crisis might be over for now. And the, and the fear of a you know contagion that we were all worried about back, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It looks like that's going to be. Uh, but I think that at the same time, uh you look at the, you know, the, the inflation numbers came in a little better, but they're still persistently high in that four to six to seven percent range. I, I, Steve, so, I did say give it a few months, let things, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the Fed, I've been more right than yeah, wrong, the, Steve. The, yeah, the numbers that came out this morning, I think, make the case that you've been making that there's no real necessity for another rate hike at this point. You know what happened when the Fed raised their rates so high, so fast, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the banks and nobody realized what was going on, and the bond portfolios and the real estate values went down, which brought yeah. them below the desirable desirable uh, place where they wanted to be and the Fed wanted them to be. Uh, well, and that, by the way, means that, you know, if the value of those properties go down, then the, then the you know, risk of, for, you know, um, mortgage foreclosure goes up. I mean, look, we're not out of the woods yet. And the, don't forget, you know, we were a year ago, the federal funds rate was 0.5 percent. Now it's 5 percent. I mean, that's a, that's one of the steepest increases in interest rates wow. that we've seen in American history. And it has, you know, caused a bit of havoc in the <clears> industry. But your point, um, Rita, about the ESG 
is really an important one because, you know, my column this week was called, uh, and it got a lot of attention, it was called, Honey, We Shrink People's, uh, We Shrunk the American People's uh, Pension Plans. And so, you know, people have spent their whole life, um, you know, building up a retirement saving nest egg. And then these pension funds and then these, you know, big uh, investment houses are playing politics with their pensions and they're not getting the returns they should. And, and in my opinion, that is a violation of their fiduciary duty to their clients. But moreover, you, then you get Biden who vetoes a bill by Congress, a bipartisan bill that would have said no more ESG. You know, do your fiduciary duty and get the best return. Steve, for that, that's a, that's a different war to be fought because uh, uh, that was a stupid thing for President Biden to do. It was. We got, we got time agree. for one more question. Yeah. Steve, Rooting, Steve Rooting. before you run, could you tell uh, uh, the, uh, our country what it means to lose the dollar? as the reserve currency. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me how many home runs Aaron Judge was going to hit home this year. No. <laughs> he did well yesterday. John was there, by the way. John was, John was rooting him on there yesterday. 162 if he keeps up the pace. They had the best hot dogs I've ever had. Ooh, they're always good. You, know, you guys are blowing up my one minute. Yeah, we got 30 seconds. Should we let him talk, John? 30 seconds. You notice, Rita, I'm trying to avoid answering his question. I did. You're doing a very good job. Go ahead. What's going to happen? We're in deep crap. I'll answer the question. I'll, I'll accept that answer. We're in deep crap if that happens. And, and the $30 trillion we owe, we're going to end up paying uh, $4 trillion in interest alone. Steve, uh, they filibust me. So we're just calling. You know why, why the dollars can be fine? Because it's the least rotten apple in the cart. Thanks for listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to the Cats Roundtable dot com or go to wabcradio.com go to the podcast get those segments that you missed have a nice sunday